Hey, how you doing? <laughs> let's, let's pray. Good morning, Father. Oh, Lord, you are such an awesome God. Father, we thank you for each and every one that's here in this sanctuary this morning, Lord. We thank you for those that will be watching online later, Lord. And, and we pray for those who, uh, for travel mercies, for those that, that still might be on their way here, Father. Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would fill this sanctuary this morning, Lord. That we would feel his presence here, Father, in a mighty, mighty way, Father God. And Lord, you know that I, I, I can't do this without you, Lord. So I, I pray that you would give me the words to say, Father, that your, 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 that your, your, your words would, would pierce the heart of everyone here, Lord, that you would speak to us as, as individuals and corporately, Lord, and that none of us would leave here the same way as we come in. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> well, um, before we leave here this morning, uh, we're going to give an invitation for anyone who would like to see, receive Jesus Christ as their, as their Lord and Savior. And anyone that does that today, we're going to give them a, uh, a, a New Beginner's Bible. And if you like, we have a couple of hot dogs left over from yesterday <laughs> that, that we can give them. I had, uh, I had three for dinner yesterday. I had two for breakfast this morning. And the way it looks, I'm going to have a couple for dinner tonight. So do me a favor, please. Accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today. And you, you won't only be doing me a favor, but you'll be doing yourself a favor because that's a decision that you'll never regret. Amen? Amen. Amen. Maybe you heard the story about a, a guy who filled out a, a, an accident report, and he didn't do it the right way, so he had to write a letter. Here's the letter the guy wrote. Dear sir, I'm writing in, in response to your request for additional information on line three of the accident report. I put poor planning as the cause of the accident. You asked for a fuller explanation, and I trust the following details would be sufficient. I'm a bricklayer by trade. On the day of the accident, I was working alone on the roof of a new six-story building. When I completed the work, I found that I had some bricks left over. Uh, when they were weighed, they were found to be uh, slightly in excess of 500 pounds. Rather than carry the bricks down by hand, I decided to lower a barrel, lower them in the barrel using a pulley, which was attached to the side of the building, on the sixth floor. Securing the rope at ground level, I went up to the roof, swung the barrel out, and loaded the bricks into it. Then I went down, I untied the rope, holding onto it tightly to ensure a slow descent of the bricks. Well, you'll note on line 11 of the accident report that I weigh 175 pounds. <laughs> Due to my surprise to be yanked off the ground so suddenly, I lost my presence of mind and forgot to let go of the rope. Needless to say, I proceeded at a rapid rate up the side of the building. In the vicinity of the third floor, I met the barrel, which was now proceeding downward at an equally impressive speed. This explains, the this explains the fractured skull, minor abrasions, and a broken collarbone, as listed on Section 3 of the accident report. Slowed only slightly, I continued my rapid ascent, not stopping until the fingers of my right hand uh, were two knuckles deep into the pulley. Fortunately, by this time, I regained my presence of mind and was able to hold tightly onto the rope in spite of beginning to experience a great deal of pain. At approximately the same time, however, the barrel, hit the, the barrel of bricks hit the ground and the bottom fell out of the barrel. 
Now, to void of the weight of the bricks, that barrel weighed approximately 50 pounds. I refer you again to my weight. As you can imagine, I began a, I began a rapid descent down the side of the building. In the vicinity of the third floor, I met the barrel coming up. This accounts for the two fractured ankles, the broken tooth, and several lacerations on my leg and lower body. But here my luck began to change slightly. The encounter with the barrel seemed to slow me enough to lessen my injuries when I fell onto the pile of bricks, and fortunately only three vertebrae were cracked. I'm sorry to report, however, as I lay there on the pile of bricks in pain, unable to move, I again lost my composure and presence of mind and let go of the rope, and I lay there watching the empty barrel begin its journey back down onto me. This explains the two broken legs. I hope this answers your inquiry. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, this morning we're going to read about another bricklayer. His name is Nehemiah. He had the job of rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem. But unlike the guy in our introduction this morning, Nehemiah knew how to complete the work, the work that God had given him. And what we can learn from Nehemiah is effective servants of Jesus discern and resist Satan's schemes. Effective servants of Jesus discern and resist Satan's schemes. And that's the title of our message this morning. Turn with me, if you will, to Nehemiah 6. Wow, there's letters on this page. Nehemiah 6, uh, verses uh, 1 through 19. When Sambalot and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall around, uh, that I had built the wall and there was no breach left in it, although up to the time I hadn't set up the doors and the gates, Sambalot and Geshem sent to me saying, Come, let us meet together at Hecaphirim in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. And I sent messages to them saying, I'm doing a great work and I can't come down. Why should the work stop while I leave and come down to, uh, come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner. In the same way, Sambalot, for the fifth time, sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. And it was written, it's reported among the nations, and Geshem says it also, that you and the Jews intend to rebel, and that's why you're rebuilding the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There's a king in Judah, and now the king will hear about these reports. So come, let's take counsel together. Then I sent to him, saying, No such things as you said have been done. You're inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it won't be done. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. Now when I sent to now when I sent to the when, now when I went into the house of uh, Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, son of Mehetabel, who was confined to his home, he said, Let us meet together in the house of God, within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they're coming to kill you. They're coming to kill you at night. But I said, should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced a prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sambalot had hired him. For this purpose he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin, so that they give me a bad name in order to taunt me. 
Remember Tobiah and Sambalot, oh my God, according to these things that they did. And also the prophetess, Noadiah, and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. So the war was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul, in 52 days. And when all the enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah set up, sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's, Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Judah were bound, to an oath, bound by an oath to him, because he was the son of Shechaniah, the son of Arah, and his son Johanahan, who had taken the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Bechariah, his wife. And they spoke of his good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him. And Tobiah sent letters to make me afraid. Well, in the beginning chapters of Nehemiah, he was serving as the, uh, the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. And when he had a, uh, he had a life-changing uh, conversation with his brother Hanani, who had, he had just come from Jerusalem. And Nehemiah asked his brother about the condition of the, the city and, and the people. And Hanani told him, as it tells us in uh, chapter 1, verse 3, the remnant there in the province who survived the captivity are in great distress and reproach. And the wall of Jerusalem is break, broken down and its gates are burned with fire. But this, this graphic first-hand description of the scene uh, of, uh, of the scene by Nehemiah's brother barely bummed Nehemiah out. So he asked the king permission to go uh, to Jerusalem. And Artaxerxes says, yeah, sure, go. He granted his request. But when he got to Jerusalem, Nehemiah found the city was defenseless and, and open to attack by the enemy. And when Nehemiah gathered all the people together to work on the rebuilding of the wall around Jerusalem, uh, Satan used various uh, tactics and schemes to, to discourage the work. Some of the same tactics that he uses against us today. But Nehemiah refused to stop working at the job that God had given him because he knew the tricks, he knew where the tricks and schemes were coming from. Well, in our text this morning, we're going to see the relentless schemes and attacks of the enemy uh, and how Nehemiah fought against these schemes and, 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 the, and the fear that was being caused and the, the intimidation. And just like Nehemiah, we can resist Satan's schemes by standing firm on our priorities. And that's our first point this morning. We can resist Satan's schemes by standing firm in our priorities. Now, our story begins that the walls have already been built, and they're working, they're working on the gates. So look at verse 1. Now, when Sambalot and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that, they had built, that I had built the wall and there was no breach in it, Although up until this time there was no, uh, there was uh, although to this time I had not set up the gate, the, the gates and the doors, Sambalot and Geshem sent to me saying, "Come, let's meet together at Hecophirum in the plain of Ono." But they intended to do me harm, and I sent messages to them saying, "I'm doing a great work and I can't come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you?" And they sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner. Right? The wall was built to, to its full height, and the only thing left was to uh, install the, the gates, have the, have the gates hung. Right? And the enemy knows as soon as these gates are hung, the city isn't vulnerable anymore. So the enemy decides to launch some personal uh, attacks to distract Nehemiah from his goal. I know. We're going to invent a, uh, let, let, let's invite him for a little vacation in the plain of Ono. Sam Sambalot, he was in uh, Samaria, 
and Nehemiah, he was in Jerusalem. And about halfway between these places, there's this, this, uh, this plain, this lush plain uh, called uh, uh, Ono. And where you could take a break and get away from the dust and the dirt of Jerusalem and, and get away from the work project for a little while. Maybe we can even shake hands and, and, and make nice and, and put an end to our, con, uh, you know, our contentious relationship. So this invitation comes out. But Nehemiah notices something. He has this thing called discernment. Not everything that's spoken is true. Not everything that's said can be trusted. Right? We don't always have the whole story. Right? Maybe, maybe the clue was the plane of, oh, no. Oh, no. You go there, something bad's going to happen. See, the enemy, the one who's opposed to the work of God and the people of God says, let's shake hands and we hang out together. And that same temptation might come to us. Maybe you're hanging out with friends and you say, you know, I ain't drinking anymore. Uh, I'm, I'm not partying anymore. And someone will say, okay, we don't have to go to the bar and shoot pool. Well, let's go to someone's house. It'll be kind of like an in-between thing. But you know that if you go there, you're going to be compromised. Maybe you're in a relationship and you're trying to walk in integrity. So you're not going to go all the way, but just part of the way, halfway. We'll meet in the middle. Listen, if you're a Christian, you don't want to meet the devil halfway. Things aren't going to go so well. You know, there, there are some people that, that, that we shouldn't have anything to do with. Did you guys know that? You know, so, some, some of you are like, well, no, we have to talk to everybody. No, that's, that's, that's not true. Maybe we, should have, maybe we should have a voicemail that says, hello, this is so-and-so. In 2022, I've decided to make some changes. So I've heard, if I don't return this call... You're one of them changes. <laughs> right? See, there, there, was, <laughs> there, there was certain people who want to drag us down. They want to get us to compromise. They want to distract us and, and draw us away. We have to just say no. This fellowship between a, a darkness and light, this, this middle space, it, it isn't a good place to be. So Nehemiah has the discernment to know that this is a trap. Right? The sermon is the, the ability to see, to see past, the, uh, past the situation. What if Nehemiah was like, oh, free vacation. Come on, we'll make things better. He would have died on the plane of Ono. See, but he knew enough to know that that's not where we should go. And Nehemiah's response was, I'm doing a great work. I can't come down. See, he was resisting Satan, he was resisting Satan, Satan by standing firm in his priorities. And that's probably something we should underline in our Bibles. See, Satan is going to use all kinds of things to distract us. So we have to remember that we're doing what God has called us to do. And Nehemiah keeps coming back to what God has given him as a life calling. He wasn't distracted. Well, the first attack fails. But you know, just because uh, you know, the, the, we, we resist the first attack that, does, attack, that doesn't mean that it's over. Right? We have a persistent enemy. Satan isn't going to quit. He's going to keep, keep on attacking. So we have to resist Satan's innuendos with truth and prayer. That's our second point. We have to resist Satan's innuendos with truth and with prayer. Look at verse 5. In the same way, Sambalot, for the fifth time, sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. And it was written, it's reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and, the Drew, you and the Jews intend to rebel. That's why you're building this wall. 
and according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There's a king in Judah. And now the king is going to hear these reports. So now, come, let's take counsel together. Then I sent to him, saying, No such things as you say have been done, for you're inventing them out of your own mind. For all he wanted to, for they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work. It will not be done. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. See, the second attack comes as an open letter. It's delivered to Nehemiah without a seal. See, back in the day, all important documents and, and, and letters would be, would be sealed with, uh, with wax so nobody could look at them. But this, uh, this letter had no seal. That means probably like, everybody probably read it before it got to Nehemiah. It was kind of like a, 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 a public slander, a, a public ac accusation, uh, say gossip. It was like uh, my cousin who has these two hairdressers, Paul and Tom, who has a friend who has a, who has a neighbor who told me that you might be thinking that you might want to be king. You know how that goes, right? I was going to use an electrician there, but hairdresser fits a little better. <laughs> Sambalot is saying, these are all rumors. And if you meet with me, I'll help you put an end to those rumors. And he's hoping that Nehemiah is going to, is going to worry about his reputation. But Nehemiah doesn't write a letter. He doesn't have a meeting to say, uh, okay, let's correct all this bad or false information out there. No, here's what he does. He denies the rumor, he prays, and he gets back to work. This rumor is false. Sambalot made it up out of his head. Guess, uh, God strengthened my hand and let me get back to work. See, the equivalent might be a, a rival at work putting on Facebook uh, that, so everyone can see. Well, Susan wants to take all the sales and start her own company and do her own thing. I just want you guys to know what she's thinking. If someone would did this where we were working and created all this tension and it wasn't true, imagine all the stress. Oh, man, I need to figure out what to do. No. We take care of our character, and God will take care of our, God will take care of our reputation. Let me say that again. If we take care of our character, we watch out for ourselves, God will take care of our reputation. Because many of us are going to deal with this in our life. You might be dealing with it right now. Oh, I can't believe they said that. I, I don't know what these people are thinking about what I'm really doing. And, and we try to appease everyone. But the Bible says the fear of man proves to be a snare. That's in Psalm 29. See, we can't look for everyone's approval. But if we say, God, this is who I am before you. Help me to guard my reputation. Help me to stay at the work you've called me to do. We'll see this great fruitfulness in our lives like we're going to see in the life of Nehemiah. He doesn't get into a fight. He doesn't get distracted. Imagine how much time it would take to explain everything to everybody who said they'd like us. Couldn't do it. And now Nehemiah says, I'm doing a great project. I can't be distracted. So I deny the rumor, I pray, I get back to work. As I was, you know, preparing this message, uh, I thought of uh, the story in uh, Isaiah 37. Maybe you remember. Hezekiah, he's the, he's the king, right? And he receives this, uh, this letter from uh, Sennacherib. I love that name, right? Sennacherib. <laughs> he's the leader of the Assyrian army. And 185,000 Assyrian soldiers are marching towards Hezekiah in Jerusalem. They threaten to kill him. 
And the letter basically says, you know, you ain't got no shot to survive. So you better surrender because your God can't help you. And the Bible says that when Hezekiah read the letter, he went into the temple and spread the letter before God. And basically he said, God, you know what the deal is here. So will you do something about it? So simple. So simple. He took this threatening letter and he said, I'm going to place this letter between the enemy and God. I'm going to get away, get out of the way. Now, God, would you please take care of this? And that night, 185,000 Assyrian soldiers was killed by the angel of the Lord. You think God knows how to take care of business? Oh, think about that. 185,000 Assyrian soldiers, the most powerful army of the time, they were decimated because God is a mighty warrior. Amen? He knows how to fight our battles better than we do. So we can arrange, we can try to arrange and fight and try to figure all this out. Or we can say, we can say God, this letter's for you. We place the accuser in front of God, and we mind our character, and God will take care of our reputation. He'll fight for our legacy because he sees, he knows, and he's all-powerful. And if we say we trust him, we'll step away from, away from the letter, step away from Facebook, step away from clicking our responses, and let God do what he does best. So the second attack doesn't work. It's the letter that, that tries to make him afraid. And notice the phrase that, that, that's used here four times in this series. They did this to intimidate us. They did this to make us afraid. Think about a bully. You know, you think about a bully, maybe you think about, you know, a couple of guys on a block and it's their job to make you afraid. You know, you owe us your do you know, you owe you you owe us money, pay your dues, or right, the kid that used to take your lunch money all the time. I was that kid. Forgive me, Lord. Right? But sometimes a modern-day bully is the girls at your school, and they say things about you on social media. And the bully's goal is to create fear. It's to intimidate. It's to make you feel less than. And we're going to see again this process that these guys who are opposing the work of God and the people of God happen in every single attack. So the third attack is in verse 10, and it's going to get ratcheted up a little bit. It gets a, a little more intense. And we're going to see that, uh, uh, that just like Nehemiah, we can resist Satan's intimidation with fearless obedience and prayer. And that's our third point this morning. We can resist Satan's intimidation with fearless obedience and prayer. Look at verse 10. Now when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, son of Mehetabel, who was confined to his home, he said, let's meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let's close the doors of the temple, for they're coming to kill you. They're coming to kill you by night. But I said, should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I can go into the temple and live? I won't go in. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. For this purpose he was hired that I should be afraid and act in this way in sin, so that they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Remember Tobiah and Sambalot, O God, according to these things that they did, and also the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. But things are getting a little bit darker, a little more devious. Now there's a prophet involved. See, someone who's a leader in the church pulls Nehemiah aside and says, on good information, 
I know they're going to come. They're going to come and try to assassinate you. You know, you're about to hang the gates and complete the project, and the only the only way they can stop the project is to kill you. So here's what you should do. Come into the temple with me and hide away. Right? Come into the temple, hide away where you can be safe, because they're coming to get you at night. But the discernment meter goes off again in Nehemiah. Hey, wait a second. You're asking me to go into the temple where only a lay person is where a lay person is forbidden to go? That place is only for the priests. That place that you told me to go and hide away to save my life? No, I ain't going to do that. I'm not going to compromise my faith to protect myself. And I'm not going to send a message to my workers telling you stay up on a wall and risk your lives. But me as a leader, I want to be kept safe. I'm not a hypocrite. So if I die being a courageous leader, I die. I refuse to act in fear. Reminds us of the, the Ukrainian president, uh, Vladimir Zelensky, doesn't it? See, we don't act out of fear. We act out of faith. We start, act, we start acting out of fear. It's going to take us down a road that, that's paid with, with, with the regret and with sorrow. See, one of Satan's greatest tools to keep us from living out God's plan and uh, purpose in our life is fear. And fear comes in all different shapes and sizes. It can look like worry. You worry about our finances, worry about uh, uh, our kids, losing your job, maybe even the end of the world. Fear can look like despair. We hear the voice in our head that says things like, ah, you ain't good enough. You ain't going to get that promotion. See, despair can cause us to throw in the towel. Fear can look like anxiety, the thought of going back to college, maybe starting the date again, or maybe even coming to church for the first time or coming back to church. See, fear can look like a lot of things, but, the great, but its greatest damage to our life is the ability to make us change uh, uh, in, uh, in our decision-making. Every decision we make based in fear is, gonna, is, is not going to be in, uh, in accordance with the will of God. Fear is going to squash our vision. It'll put an end to our strategy and, and cause us to, to not, never to reach our goals. And we're going to regret every, every decision we make that, that's fear-based. The Bible tells us in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verse 7, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. See, we have to choose whether we're going to live in a life of fear or a life of faith. See, fear paralyzes, but faith mobilizes. Fear causes us to stop on our tracks, right? We lay in bed and we think about all the what-ifs. What if this happens? What if that goes wrong? Right? And following God can be a risky business. Right? Look at Noah. Noah took a risk when he built the ark. Abraham, he took a risk when he left the, uh, he tried to, uh, left the land of his forefathers. How about Moses? Moses took a risk when he, right, he tried to lead his people out of Israel. And, and Joshua, how about his risk? March around, his, march around the city for, uh, for seven days and the walls are going to fall down. Right? See, following God means taking risks. And fear literally, literally shuts down our brain's ability to live by faith. Fear paralyzes us. It keeps us from, from dreaming big. It keeps us from, from trying new things. Nowhere in Scripture that God tells us, hunker down and just try to survive. Right? The first two letters of, of gospel, or the word gospel, is G-O, go. Right? Fear paralyzes, but faith mobilizes we can't allow fear to paralyze us. We have to let our faith mobilize us. How about David in Psalm 23? 
even though I walk through the shadow of the valley of death, I ain't going to be afraid. Because God, you're right, behind, right beside me. And Nehemiah says, look, I ain't going nowhere. They're trying to make me afraid. And maybe I'll die, but at least I won't regret running away like a coward. Cowards die many times before their death. That's William Shakespeare. I'm not a William Shakespeare kind of guy, I guess you could tell. I don't, I, I don't know. But, but, but there was a time, like, I, 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 you know, I thought about it. And I say, is that to be or not to be? I said, that's the question. Whew, that's terrible, isn't it? <laughs> See, they're trying to stop the project, to stop the work of God. But Nehemiah, he doesn't allow that to happen. As, and, and fear spreads like a virus from person to person. Did you hear that? Did you hear this? Did you hear about the letter they sent about Nehemiah saying he was going to make himself king? And that rumor can keep spreading and spreading and create fear. But we all know people who have left churches because of rumors about leadership and, and rumors about what the church is doing. Fear spreads like a virus, often unintentionally, but we're all part of that process. So maybe the next time we hear something that we should say, you know what, let's go talk to that leader, the elders. Let's have a conversation to see if all of this is true. Hey, Nehemiah, you really going to make yourself king? He says, no, nah, I got a letter from the king of Persia. He knows exactly what I'm doing. He appointed me governor. I'm only doing this on his request. Oh, okay. That's not true at all. See, it's amazing what will happen if we fight if we fight fear with truth. And once again in verse 14, what does he do when he's facing threat? When he's facing fear? He prays once again for courage. God, remember these enemies. They're trying to make me afraid. He says it out loud. God, you see this letter. They're trying to intimidate me. God, you see what they're doing. They're trying to make me do something sinful. I'm not going to act in fear. And God eventually would give Nehemiah the victory. And when we resist God persistently, God will give us the victory. That's our fourth, fourth point this morning. When we resist Satan persistently, God will give us the victory. Look at verse 15. So the wall, of, the wall was finished on the 25th day of Ilul in 52 days. And when the enemies heard it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their, self -esteem, in their own esteem. For they perceived this work had been accomplished with the help of God. Moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Judah were bound by an oath, because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Arah, and his son Jehonahan had taken the door of Meshulam and the son of Bechariah and his wife. I've been practicing those names for months. <laughs> also, they spoke of the good deeds of my presence, <laughs> the good deeds of my presence, and reported my words to him. And Tobias sent letters to make me afraid. The wall had been built, and I had, and I had set up the doors. He, here's the attack. We're going to get some people on the inside of the leaders, the nobles that are related to the enemy, the in-laws to the enemy, people who were related by, uh, by marriage. Uh, CIs, confident informants. And what they do was, to, and what they did was to listen to Nehemiah's meetings, and they would take that information back to the uh, back to the enemy. It was a deep plot. So you know what Nehemiah's response was in the middle of all this? His response to 
infighting, spies, slander, continue the work God had given them. I'm doing a great work. I can't come down. And here's the cool thing about this. Right? When, when he hangs the gates and the wall's complete, what happens to the bullies? Look at verse 16. It says, when they heard this, they fell greatly in their esteem. The NIV says that they were afraid and lost their self-confidence. What, what do bullies do? They try to make people af uh, afraid and make people lose their confidence. But when you stand firm in front of the bully and you say, I ain't moving. I trust my God. I trust what he has for me. The bully backs down. The bully loses his heart and his self-confidence. And all the nations around lost their self-confidence. Why? They were overconfident. We'll get to this leader. We'll get to these people. They've fallen apart before. They've fallen when problems and trials came, in, and they're going to fall again. But they didn't. This time, they stood in the face of fear and adversity, and they completed the project in 52 days, something they couldn't do for 100 years. Right? And even the pagans realized that this was the God at work. Right? Nehemiah wasn't intimidated. In fact, what he did caused them to lose heart, their heart in the process. And we see all through Scripture this, this idea that we're supposed to stand. Right? Ephesians 6 and 13. Put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand firm. Maybe we can ask this question. When everyone else is going in the opposite direction, is there a place that I'm supposed to be standing? Standing for rightness within my group of friends? Standing for what's right at work or at church? See, it doesn't matter if we're all alone. We can still stand and not be intimidated, right? Even though we have an enemy that's far more, far more powerful than Sambalot, Tobiah, or Geshem, right? his name is Satan, we also have a leader who's far more powerful than Nehemiah. His name is Jesus, amen? And Jesus has defeated the enemy at the cross. Colossians 2 and 15 says, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them at the cross. The Bible says that Jesus disarmed Satan. He took the fangs out of the lion. He took the venom out of the snake. Now Satan is disarmed. Disarmed means stripped of power, right? He's a lion on a rope, a serpent with a crushed head. He's a squatter that's about to be evicted. He's a defeated foe. Even though he says, my job is to kill and steal and destroy the lives of believers, we don't have to live in fear of his schemes. We can stand our ground because greater is he who is in us than he was in the world. Amen? Isn't that good news to know? God is greater than any attack of the enemy. When we resist Satan, when we resist Satan persistently, God will give us the victory. When the enemy saw the boldness of Nehemiah, they lost all their confidence. They were disarmed. And we see this all through history, right? A leader who, who had to take a stand. When Germany began their bombing in, in uh, the bombing campaign at the start of World War II, Winston Churchill said, We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills and we'll never give in. Never, never, never. How about the Ukrainian president, Vladimir Zelensky, who vowed to remain in Kiev even though missiles pounded the capital? 
he echoed uh, Churchill's famous speech. We will not give up. We will not lose. We're going to fight to the end, at sea, in the air. We'll continue fighting for our land, whatever it costs. We'll fight in the forest. We'll fight in the hills. We'll fight in the shores. We'll fight in the streets. You see, this isn't just true in, in the book of Nehemiah 2,500 years ago. We've seen it all throughout history where, 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 where leaders lead people through great fear and great heartache to victory. See, there's not just one action to threats and stressful, and stressful situations. There are two, right? Our fear and, and panic, loss of confidence, anxiety, freaking out. Oh, what do we do? What, what, what do we do? But there's another reaction. The stress, the threats, they can actually produce a, a, a sense of confidence, of trust, even exhilaration. Think about what it was like for David to stand in front of that giant. I mean, he wasn't afraid, right? He wasn't afraid. We know that because of what he said. Looking up, he said, today, I'm going to kill you. And then I'm going to cut your head off. And when I'm done, my guys are going to kill your guys, and then we're going to feed them to the birds. You feel me? That's the Jersey City interpretation. <laughs> and, and everybody... Everybody's going to know that there's a God in Israel. How do you like them apples? See, confidence in someone who's, who in the face of fear and trauma says, I ain't going to be afraid. I serve a mighty God, a warrior. And if he's for me, who could be against me? That's a word for us. That's a word for our church. In 2 Timothy, Paul tells young, in 2 Timothy, Paul tells young Timothy, God has given us a spirit of, of power and of love and of self-control. He tells Timmy, Timothy, you ain't got to be afraid. You don't have to act in fear. You don't have to be fearful. Because if you believe that I am who, who's in control, and I have all power, then God, my life is in your hands. Then we can act with this, this reckless abandon, this confidence that we see in Nehemiah, that we see in Winston Churchill, that we see in Vladimir Zelensky. Right? But we have to remember, we have to remember that when we resist Satan, it doesn't mean that the attacks are over, right? But they'll lose their power over us as we grow in faith and confidence in God. And that's our fifth and final point this morning. Let me say it again. It's a little long. When we resist Satan, it doesn't mean that the attacks are over, but they'll lose their power over us as we grow in faith and confidence in God. See, the attacks are going to come. They're going to keep coming. But listen, they're going to lose their power over us as we grow in faith and confidence in God. The attacks are going to keep coming, but they don't have that same, that same grip of fear and, and power that they used to have. It's like when Peter and John were preaching the gospel, right? And, and they were told, you do this again, we're going we're to whip you and we're going to arrest you. And their response was like, so? So? Fear had lost its grip on Peter and John, who just a couple of months ago ran away in fear, Right? And it's like they're saying, you judge what's right and wrong, but we're going to do what God calls us to do. You do whatever you got to do, we're good. And that sense of confidence in God is, is what he wants for all of us when it comes to fighting fear. Whether it's happening in our country, our church, our family, or our finances, the clue to how Nehemiah handled all these attacks is the quality that we all should be looking for. Amen? Someone who fears God, not Satan, 
Because, uh, because if we fear God, we don't have to fear anything else. If we have a holy respect for God and understand that he allows Satan on a leash, right, to get to a certain proximity of us, but he can't overcome us. That, every, that he has every breath, every breath, every breath we breathe, every heartbeat, everything we'll ever accomplish already in his hands. The purpose he has for us. If we allow his grace and strength to be part of our heart, we won't have to give away, we won't have to give away the fear and be paralyzed. Then we'll trust him in every circumstance of our lives. Because maybe right now you're just tired and you're like, and, and, and you've been acting in fear and you're like, you know what? I just want all this to go away. See, how you feel now and what you're going through right now isn't the whole story. It's just a chapter in the story. And when you turn that page, like, wow. Wow. It's amazing how God can help us to be confident, even when there's no reason to be confident. And even though Nehemiah was a great leader and governor, we serve a king of kings and lord of lords. His name is Jesus. He's all-powerful. He's all sovereign, and he has our life in his hands. And if we walk in that confidence, we won't live in the spirit of fear, but of power and of a sound mind. And if we're going to be effective, an effective servant of Jesus, we have to discern and resist, uh, resist Satan's many schemes by standing firm in our priorities. And we do that with truth and with prayer. And when we, and when we persistently resist Satan, he's going to give us victory. And, those, and that, uh, that uh, those schemes will lose its power over us as we grow in faith and confidence of God until we hear those words that we long to hear. Well done, good and faithful servant. Amen? Amen. Well, before we leave here this morning, I, I'd like to give an invitation for anyone who, who hasn't accepted Jesus Christ as, the, as, the, as their Lord and Savior. I'd like to give you a, an opportunity to do that today. You know, if you haven't accepted Christ as your Savior, and you're, not, you're not living this, this life that we talked about today, and, you know, whatever it is, whatever sin, maybe it's an addiction or whatever it is, we're powerless over it. We're powerless over not only over addiction, but of, but of sin. But we, if you give your life to Christ, he can, the Holy Spirit will come into your life, into your heart, and, and, and give you all power. Amen? It's like, you know, we're, we're all sinners. And we're separated from God, right? It's like God is over here on this, on this cliff, and we're standing over here on a cliff over here. And there's this great chasm between us, and there's no way to get to God. But God has provided a, a, an answer for that. He sent the Son, Jesus Christ, to the cross, and he's that bridge. If you want to have a perfect, if you want to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ today, repeat after me. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I ask you to forgive me for those sins. Please come into my life and be my Lord and Savior. If you prayed that prayer this morning, welcome to the family of God. Again, I said I'd like to give you a, I have a, a, a New Believers Bible, and I think we can scrounge up a couple of hot dogs. God bless. And let's stand and respond this morning.